Hi, everyone. Before we get to our show today, I wanted to let you know that we have something new on the Path 11 Productions website. I have had the opportunity to record some of my guided meditations for you, and we are giving one away for free. It is called the Anxiety Scan. We have another one up there called Archangel Raphael, which is channeling the healing energy of that archangel to help your immune system become stronger and to help decrease any stress that you might be having. There's also another one up there that we have as uh, one that you could take advantage of is a distance Reiki healing from me. So we are going to be putting out some more of these guided meditations throughout uh, the next month or so, and we hope that you enjoy them. Okay, let's get to our show today. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. So hello, everyone. We have two guests on our show today. We have Dr. Eric Pearl and Jillian Fleer. And this introduction actually came during one of our other episodes with Jean Ang, episode 232. We were actually talking about Octurian healing, and I shared a story with him. And I'll get into that a little bit later. But he was the one that recommended I pick up uh, Eric Pearl's book, The Reconnection which I did and was fascinated. So here we are today. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Eric Pearl. He ran a chiropractic practice in Los Angeles before discovering reconnective healing. One day, his patients began to report healings when he simply held his hands near them without physically touching them. So he went in search of the universal wisdom behind what was happening, and unlike today's known forms of energy healing, this work can be practiced without complex technique or elaborate ritual, which I personally have found uh, wonderful uh, to read about. So we'll get into that during the show, too. And through Dr. Dr. Pearl's journey of research and discovery, it became clear that the appropriate name for his work is Reconnective Healing. Now, this has been recognized and supported by science. Reconnective Healing facilitates healings for people that are often instantaneous and can last a lifetime. Feeling compelled to teach others, Eric's work has taken him to over 100 countries and has affected millions of people, and his hope is that one day everyone will learn to access this natural ability and will use it to heal themselves and others. Dr. Pearl has been featured in top media, including The Dr. Oz Show, The New York Times, and CNN. His internationally best-selling book, The Reconnection, Heal Others, Heal Yourself, is now in over 39 languages and has been endorsed by such notables as Deepak Chopra. Joined with Dr. Eric Pearl, we also have Jillian Fleer, and she is the head of Insight and Development. In collaboration with Dr. Pearl, she oversees the direction and vision for the Reconnection and the Reconnective Healing Global Community. Jillian leads the Reconnection's internal team and is co-instructor with Eric for online and world live programs. And prior to Reconnection, Jillian was a personal consultant and advisor to established global teachers and practitioners in the healing arts and wellness industry. So I would like to welcome them both to the Path 11 podcast. Hi, guys. Hey. Wow, April, that was a lot. Thank you. You're welcome. So, okay, I have to tell you the story about how I came to find you, and it was literally only a few months ago. So I can't even believe that just being in this world of work that I'm in, and I have been, you know, a dabbler in every type of different healing modality that I had not heard of you guys before. So in episode 232 with our guest, Gene Ang, I um, brought him on because I was doing research one day, because in a lot of my healing sessions, I started to have what I call these blue healers that would enter into my Reiki sessions and would be working with me and my clients. And of course, I felt like I was losing my mind. I was making something up. Was was I seeing really real? And um, so I I googled some images and through that I found this guy in California, Gene Ang, and he has this whole thing about Octurian healing and I said, okay, maybe this is what these people are called. So called him up, he came on the podcast, we had an awesome conversation because it's kind of hard to really find people that you can talk about, about these things happening during healing sessions and when I was giving him an example of one of my sessions, I said, well, you know, these healers kind of come in and I'm able to see these energy grids over people's bodies 
bodies and it's like they are replacing these light bulbs in these grids. And I said, and sometimes I'll see these geometric patterns and it'll look very much like DNA and what's kind of going on. He said, oh, well, um, have you been trained in reconnection, reconnection healing? And I said, no, I don't even know what that is. I haven't even heard of that. And he said, oh, well, you need to start reading stuff that Dr. Eric Pearl, and he also recommended the book of Enoch to me, which I had never heard of either. So this led me down an incredible rabbit hole, and I have been following your work since. Um, it has, I would say, blown a lot of other beliefs that I've had. It's challenged many of my rituals, which I love. And I would like to talk about that when we get into um, more of our discussion. And I just have a bunch of questions that I'm so excited to ask you uh, after having read your book and have been following you online. So well, thank you so, so much for uh, agreeing to come on to the podcast. It's a joy to be with you at this early hour of the morning here in Los Angeles to see your smile and hear your voice um, is starting off our day beautifully. Thank you. And congratulations on the book of Enoch, because that is not just a book, but that is yeah. a enormous, voluminous uh, experience unto itself. It is a <laughs> We love JJ and Desiree Hurtock. They're very special people. Yes. And I was happy. And when I saw in your book, we'll get into this too, about uh, the passage that was recommended to you from the, the Venice Beach Gypsy. Um, so of course, I had the book of Enoch, I ordered it with your book, and then I went right to that section. <laughs> so uh, let's give our audience uh, some background. Can you please share with them? Because they may not be familiar with you either. Like I said, I just came to know about you just this past year. So can you give them a little bit of your background about being the chiropractor and how this all began to evolve? And kind of a little bit of where you are right now? Sure. Um we, um, you know, and we've been traveling so much through Europe for so many years that, you know, that's where a lot of our focus has been. So we're really, very glad to be getting back and focusing on the United States right now. Um, so this is um, nice to chat here. The background is, or mine is, is that I practiced as a doctor of chiropractic for 12 years. And one night, a few strange things happened since you're talking about strange things. Um, I'm not going to go all the way back into the keys of Enoch's story and the gypsy and the beach, unless you want me to, because that will take a while. <laughs> that's, that's okay. People can purchase your book to read some more about that. But, but let's just say um, there was a significant evening where it didn't seem like anything unusual was occurring. I'd gone to sleep like any other night, closed my bedroom door, went to sleep, and um, that was all the attention I gave it, except about an hour later, I was awakened by this bright light bursting through my eyes and almost felt as if someone had walked into my room and flipped on the light switch, except there was no one in my house. I opened my eyes to see what it was, and it wasn't anything seemingly spiritual or metaphysical. It was simply the lamp next to my bed, which for some reason had managed to turn itself on. So that felt a little odd, and then I noticed that my door that I closed before I went to sleep was open. That felt more odd. So I wondered, was someone in my house? It sort of felt like someone was in my house. So I, I got up bravely. I grabbed the largest knife that I could, just in case. I um, stumbled upon an old, empty spray can of, of mace or pepper spray or something I figured might make me look dangerous. And uh, my Doberman Pinscher, who was hiding behind me, I don't know why you'd think she'd be a lead, but not in that night. So walked through the house, couldn't find anyone, decided it was my imagination, went back to sleep. I will tell you, I reached to shut off that lamp to turn that little brown knob on most every lamp in the United States. And it wasn't clicked on. And you see, I knew that wasn't me because I am a clicker. Doors are locked. Windows are closed. Um, toothpaste cap is on tightly. Everything's clicked into place. And that knob was rotated sufficiently for the light bulb to come on, but not clicked all the way. And I'm thinking, so, someone somehow is doing something. But anyway, I decided to go back to sleep. That Monday when I went into my office to see my patients, my employees started asking me what happened to me over the weekend. 
They said I looked different, I sounded different, my voice was different, I felt different. I went in to see my first patient, um, adjusted him, had him lie on his back with his eyes closed at the end to let the adjustment settle in. And when he opened his eyes, he asked me who walked into the room while he was there. And I said, no one. He said, I heard someone come in. I said, no one came in. He said, I felt them. I said, no one was there. He insisted, but finally he accepted my response that no one came in. Although I could tell he didn't really quite believe me. The second patient I worked on, when she opened her eyes, said, who came into the room when I was lying here? I said, no one. Why? She said, I felt someone. I said, no one was here. I heard them. No one was here. Seven patients that day insisted that someone walked into the room, walked around the room, ran around the room, and two of them actually said it felt as if someone might be flying around the room. And I'm thinking, something is going on here. I don't know what it is, because I've had some of these patients for like 10 years. Other patients were saying, I can feel your hands before you touch me, which I didn't believe. So I had them close their eyes. I held my hands near them. They could tell where I was. I moved my hands several feet away from them. But whatever my hands, whatever area my hands were in, their bodies would go into involuntary movements or their face would move. Their eyes would dart back and forth. When they'd open their eyes, they told me they were seeing colors they'd not seen before, smelling flowers they hadn't smelled before. Um... After they went home, they would come back and tell me about different healings that were happening for them. Or if I'd worked on young children, uh, their parents would call and say their cerebral palsy um, was fine. They were walking and running and playing normally, or um, they weren't having seizures any longer. But they had epilepsy. Not everyone, but a lot of people, certainly enough to get my attention and that of um, researchers. People were, you know, some people that we actually had to bring in in wheelchairs were walking out, but not others. So that began a surprise at seeing things I hadn't seen before, I hadn't expected, and then sort of a, a quest, a journey to begin to understand why is it that some people are having certain responses and not others. Soon, um, science came, the researchers. And as they began to study this, they said that in their measurements, they were finding, let's call it aspects of light that they had not seen before and measuring levels of information in the field that they had not seen before. So this is really changing the energy light and information that is here on this, I'm going to say on this planet. Interestingly enough, what's encompassed in what science today refers to as the reconnective healing frequencies, we refer to it as we recognize that it is an intelligence, and you'll understand more of that in a little bit when we talk, um, seems to be measurable in the way science can measure that it exists, but not measurable the way we think of something as like a ruler, like you can measure where it begins and where it ends. You can't. It's so expansive, it seems to include the frequencies of all our known energy healing techniques. You can't find what range of hertz or megahertz it falls into because it's like everything that we know in those fields is just a part of this new field of energy, light, and information. So is that a good beginning answer for yeah. you? Yeah, I think so. And I think probably our listeners are probably saying, okay, well, what is this healing? How do you begin to describe uh, reconnection healing? And I know that you didn't have any manual, right? You didn't have any books telling you what this was, what you were experiencing, which I found helpful in your book, The Reconnection, because you, you give people a little bit of a framework and understanding of what could be happening. But I also love that you also say, but I also don't know, you know? It's like we don't know. So um, so how how is it best to describe what reconnection healing is to somebody that is hearing it for the first time? Well, you know what? I think it's good. I'm going to let Jillian begin to answer that question. Jillian and I teach this work together all around the globe. <laughs> so um, we, we're a great balance together in um, talking about it, teaching about it, and our understanding of it. 
and yours. Great. Okay, Jillian, go ahead. I think it's a really important question, but first I want to um, say how much I appreciate the comment that you appreciate a very extensive part of how we talk about reconnective healing is from the perspective that we don't know everything. And, and that's sort of unpopular a little bit right at the moment with neuroscience. And really, we are becoming so proficient in controlling and understanding and formulating in a formula everything, you know, the way we think, how we turn, you know, matter into energy, how we ultimately use every power of our known brain to uh, bring about everything. We do everything. There's a lot of I can do everything. Um perspective in the world. And so reconnective healing, I like to think of as the new language of this planet. It is a language that um, we can't describe in words often. And in some ways, we find that it is word free often, and it is a common denominator in that everyone can understand it. And anyone from anywhere can ultimately um, sort of receive, and I use that word receive, the movement of um, the energy, light, and information. So in the first instance, what we do know from science is it's a collective consciousness. It's a collective consciousness, not of our thoughts, but it's a collective consciousness of energy, light, and information that seems to exist outside of what we might call the four dimensions of height, width, depth, and now time, which I think we accept as a fourth dimension. And if not, we, we are learning much more about it being that fourth dimensional um, concept. So in, in that, in the first instance, we have to say, okay, this is a bandwidth of frequencies that made itself present and known. Um, not not just to Eric, but in the sense, let's consider the moment in which it went from something latent, unseen, uh, to something seen, but not visible. And yet, the frequencies themselves, it's interesting, the reason I like to refer to it as a language is, it's observable. The interaction itself is something highly tangible, highly observable. When we are in a reconnective healing exchange, whether it's as a practitioner or someone who is exploring the frequencies, the reconnective healing frequencies just on their own, there isn't a need for one's imagination, a belief system, a mantra. Um, that isn't how it communicates. It communicates very clearly in a sort of reaching to us. Um, kind of capacity and the way that it will visually or um, from the point of view of an experience, not a thought. And I want to really be clear on that. It is an experience that we can observe. It is an experience that we can notice. And more importantly, it's an experience that we become a witness for and to. So A, a language. B, a bandwidth of frequencies that science can really determine is present. And now we're so fortunate to have uh, a lot of ways that people measure frequency. You know, it's a field, but the field of collective consciousness is being measured one way. And I'm going to say the reconnective healing bandwidth or the field of the collective consciousness of energy, light, and information here, maybe for the very first time, is unmeasurable. It's that vast. So, we introduce it um, as a language by playing. There's a lot of play. Because it's so tangible, we think perhaps the best way to become familiar with the process or the approach or the language is to experience it so that there is no confusion <laughs> that it's present. Um, and one, I'm going to say one directional. We don't reach to it. It reaches to us. So again, we don't have to raise our vibration through a series of, um, I'm going to say, chakra organizing, or um, even, uh, I'm going to say, technique that brings us into a higher vibration. It immediately 
is able to become part of our awareness. Transforms us. It transforms us. So as Jillian speaks of this language, it's a language that we understand on all levels because it's our awareness it's communicating with. It's just that we don't think it through. We don't have to worry about syntax and grammar and punctuation. Um, it comes in the not knowing, which is a big challenge, as Jillian mentioned, for everyone today, because today a lot of our wonderful teachers who are definitely helping us grow through brain training and other things um, are teaching things that we have to work at, that we have to do every day consistently for long periods of time so we maintain it and don't lose it. This does something in a different way. It is received and it transforms what we've discovered in the beginning that has been confirmed by multiple studies on plant DNA, animal DNA, and human DNA is that it actually transforms our entire DNA. So we don't have to work to maintain it. It brings about amazing neuroplasticity, changes in the brain, um, neurochemistry, biochemistry changes in our body. And the funny thing about reconnective healing is because it happens outside of time, outside of space, is that once we receive these healings, they tend to be immediate and they tend to be forever. They don't leave during time. You don't have to come back again and again, practice something for 20 minutes, three times a day for the next, you know, 10 years. You just are more. You're in a communication. Right. Um, and that's a really important part. Being able to recognize the communication that's happening is, is an important part. But unfortunately, and I say this lovingly, unfortunately, it isn't something that we can teach through steps and procedures. Because one of the unique parts that we know as a characteristic of it is that it bypasses the part of our mind that is directing. So there's that little um, evolution that we have to uh, press into. I always say there's a, a bit of a pressure that happens, but we have to press into our ability to move beyond what I'll call knowledge, because knowledge will often, and, and, and this is important, the mindset that we accumulate as knowledge is usually our directional. And, and sometimes the hurdle or the growth or the expansion of learning reconnective healing is how do we move beyond knowledge? How do we move into, and I think people use this word knowingness a lot, but they're using it often from the perspective of uh, accumulated knowledge that they can now call knowingness. This is another level of knowingness. It's a springboard. See, what we consider knowledge is really a collection of facts and data. Funny thing is, we knew a lot of facts 200 years ago, which 100 years ago we found out were wrong. When we found out 50 years later, some of them were right, and this continues happening. So what we call facts and would like to be facts are actually just a mutually agreed upon consensus of opinion by the highest level at the moment. And as soon as something else comes into place, the fact has been replaced, which means it was really kind of only an opinion. You know, the expression is nothing can actually be proven, only disproven, because once it was disproven, then it was never proven in the first place. So what happens is we tend to collect the facts and we go, oh, yes, I've got knowledge. I've got all this knowingness. But truly, the knowingness at this level of existence is that play with the facts, understand the facts as what they really are, and then springboard off of them in a state of knowingness that allows the answers to come from within. And one of the things that allows us to give ourselves this permission is the willingness, the courage to say, I don't know, because we are so in a, a current society that values knowing and knowledge that we're afraid to say these things. And so when we put things in our box of knowledge, we put them in a box of knowledge. Everything inside is right. Everything outside is not. And there are two things about reconnective healing we definitely know. We know that we don't know what it is. 
<laughs> and we certainly don't know what it isn't because it's continually expanding. But our willingness to not know allows us to look at possibilities that the need to know tells us to close our eyes to. Yeah, wonderful. You know, I because we're recording this during a, a time in the world with the pandemic and the coronavirus, a little bit of a lot of what you're saying actually is something um, that I heard Sadhguru, who is a realized yogi and a, and a mystic, say yesterday when he was talking about the virus. He said, you know, the virus is very much like a spiritual experience. He said, you can't see it. You know, how do you know that you actually have it? You don't know that you have it until you experience it, you know? So when you guys are saying like there is this unknown and you don't really know what to call it, uh, it's, it's very similar to kind of like what's going on with a lot of people. We can't see this virus anywhere and you don't know that you have it until you're actually experiencing it. Um, so even though that's a little bit of a parallel, I think it, it still holds a little bit of truth in what we're talking about too, with many of these mystical experiences or spiritual awakenings or things that we're having. It's like, you can talk to people about it, but really until they either become it or have the experience of it, it really can't begin to become truth to somebody else just by hearing it in words. But there's a lot of stuff that like you're saying, there may not be all these facts or this collection of data that we can prove, but that does not mean that it is not happening just because we can't see it. And, and I think part of the moment that we're in, it's so uh, perfect because here we have been pressed into a collective um, through what you're referring to as sort of an unseen, and we'll call it a virus, and some are calling it the corona crown, and some are calling it this sort of a low-level yet um, attention-grabbing uh, universal uh, um, uh, resonance. Okay, you know, a virus is very interesting because it's important to know a virus doesn't chase you biologically. I love science, and so let us remember a, a virus of any kind doesn't go and grab us. It's part of an atmosphere. It's an organic part of an atmosphere that we partake in, that we participate in. So any virus is inclusive of, let's say, our attention, our behavior, our awareness. It, it is innate in the concept of a virus. And I think that the moment that we stand in for the first time, I can say in my lifetime, you know, and I'm mid-upper 50s, and um, in speaking to my elders, it's the first time in their lifetime, some of them in their 90s, never witnessed before uh, a collective viral atmosphere where every single sentient human being is one. So we've, we keep hearing this idea, but I think it can't be overemphasized. It doesn't matter who or what you are in human embodiment what your status, stature, age, color, uh, gender is in this life, language, country, uh, even our four-leggeds, uh, even our animal species. Everyone in this moment is uh, asked, being asked to uh, be in the awareness of one moment together. So that is, a, that is uh, more than just let's pay attention. Okay, that just is more than that. And if we look at what that now presses us, and, and you know, we, we see this with reconnective healing, there is this interesting moment of pressure that people experience. It is very sensorial. We, we, we have to look at that from the mind state and say, what are we to do together right now, um, collectively, outside of language, outside of rules and regulation, what is, what are we uh, being asked to become a part of together? What are we asked to be a part of together? And that very tenant, so interesting for us because the inclusiveness is, uh, uh, I would say, the, one of the most recognizable parts of reconnective healing. If we were to describe what is reconnective healing as a process and an approach, um, inclusiveness would be a, a very important way to describe what we experience together. And yet, 
yet, just like this moment, we are not going to um, be in control entirely of how that atmosphere is affecting each and every sentient human being. It is clearly a, a um, yet-to-be-known outcome. Um, so we're, I would say, our global community, which is extensive, is is almost familiar with, I'm going to say, the psychological part of being in the unknown, not addressing something that is so tangibly visible to us that we can, one, two, three, use our very human, uh, let's go do this kind of a thing uh, to address it. Our reconnective healing community understands certainty in chaos as an innate part of everything. They understand that they're not there to direct and control every outcome, every result. They don't determine the benefit for every person that they share space and timelessness with. So, so many of the qualities of this moment um, they're familiar with, and yet reconnective healing is an atmosphere because the frequencies do change us on a cellular level, a biophotonic level. They establish uh, an inner atmosphere that expands very fast, that um, is notable by our consciousness, but yet uh, it isn't something that, um, how do I say this? Sometimes the words are difficult. It isn't uh, something that we necessarily determine, uh, but we can be a participant and a catalyst and um, an expression of the awareness being present. Through, uh, through witnessing yes. and observation. And receiving, and you see, we we touched on receiving before, but you know, it, it's it's very interesting. Um, we tend, and a lot of people in um, energy healing and other things, because we live in a visually linear concept. You know, Jillian's to my left, I'm to her right. You're across the way in a screen or in another part of the country. How do we get from here to there? And so. In the healing world, a lot of people tend to try to send healing energy because how do I get energy from me to you if I don't send it? The funny thing about reconnective healing is that we all, the facilitator and the client, become recipients as we receive as a facilitator and all we do is receive, then what happens is it changes us, the field changes, and this transformation is shared by whoever we're working with or in the atmosphere and actually shared by everyone else on the planet. And as far as I'm concerned and as far as um, people such as Nassim Haramein and, and, and other physicists will say, quantum physicists, it affects every molecule in the universe. Our expansion is the expansion of the universe. It's actually requested and required of us by, shall we say, a larger knowingness or intelligence. Um, so when, for example, uh, we were listening to Joe Dispenza yesterday, and he had an interesting way of saying, let's keep one foot on the, I don't know what word to use, earthly, the other foot in the quantum. And that makes sense. You know, just as we wouldn't run out in front of a speeding car, let's also realize part of us is here on earth, Wash your hands, for God's sakes. You know, <laughs> let's do some of the common sense good taking care of ourselves. Simultaneously, let's not overexpose ourselves to this until we're, you know, we have a, a better concept of what it is and, and it's being handled or brought into balance. That doesn't mean we can't help the world. So in Reconnective Healing, we teach not only how to work in person, but how to work via distance. So just as when Jillian and I are doing distance sessions with people around the world, we encourage, you know, and remind the people who have learned Reconnective Healing, you can help. Others do distance healing sessions. Let's honor the laws and the rules that are saying, you know, stay at home. And let's still continue to help expand the consciousness on this planet. Because this expansion, this change, I believe, is going to allow all of us to rise to a higher level and bring this situation 
back into a perfectly harmonious balance. Everything that's existing here is part of a harmony. And when it's not in harmony, it's simply not in balance. And if we exist in a consciousness of fear, we then contribute to the imbalance because we're actually existing in a non-consciousness. Because fear isn't something that exists. Fear is actually an absence of light, just as when we believe in darkness, we forget that darkness isn't something that exists. I'm sorry. Fear is an absence of love. Darkness is an absence of light. These are simply absences. The only power that they have is that which we grant to that illusion. Yeah, I just wanted to say that was going to be a perfect bridge into one of my next questions for you. Um, I just want to see where I marked it in the book. Jillian, did you want to say something before I actually move into? Yeah, I just want to say the behavioral level. Mm -hmm. uh, We have incredible experts right now really speaking to us about how we manage the thinking mind around fear and really illuminating the um, chemistry that, you know, runs right in there in, in fight or flight to accelerate this mind state that often a crisis or fear um, presents. So I, I, I really, I think I'm um, highly encouraging people to, if they aren't already an expert at practicing these tools, and meditation can be a wonderful tool for that as well. There's a lot out there from the experts. Then there's more. Then there's more because once you get a handle on the fear, it's not changing the circumstance. So part of, again, I, I, I'm, I believe that reconnective healing has waited and been in the latency of understanding literally for this moment because there isn't anything more appropriate in this moment and in more alignment than becoming part of what this intelligence, this collective consciousness, this energy, light, and information um, has to offer uh, unabashedly uh, right now, right now for our now moment. And I'll I'll take it just one step further in understanding this. Reconnective healing showed up here in August of 1993. And I knew from the beginning that it came because it knew it was time. It was preparing us for something we needed to be prepared of. the intelligence that this speaks through, and there's another book um, about this called Solomon Speaks on Reconnecting Your Life. That wisdom, that intelligence we call Solomon came through and said, um, you are part of a process that is coming in great scope. There are many, many amazing things to read in Solomon Speaks on Reconnecting Your Life. Um, it's channeled information. It is Phenomenally pertinent, yeah, one of my patients and others that continue this work. Um, and so thank goodness when you look back at things, things have been orchestrated perfectly in ways that weren't consciously intended or planned. Our attention was there, but our intention wasn't on certain things. So, um, you know, we had been traveling, I had been traveling as much as 40 some weeks a year around the world teaching. And and even with Jillian, we've cut it down, but couldn't cut it down a lot. And interestingly enough, we took three months off just around this time that everyone's supposed to stay home. Thank goodness that um, two years ago, we we put together something called the portal, which is... um, a way that you can learn the beginnings of reconnective healing. It's an eight-hour class online in the privacy of your own home. You can share it and watch it with your friends and your family. You feel the frequencies. You learn how to work with this and do it. So right now, when we are all looking for something we can do, and we're not even going to the movies or large gatherings right now, we can say, wait, I can still grow in a way that helps me raise my resonance, my vibration, um, in this current situation and even allows me to begin to share this raised vibration, this healing level 
with others and I don't even have to leave my own home to learn it and I don't have to leave my own home to begin to share it, at yeah. least on a level of friends and family. It's, it's definitely a coincidence and at some point we should talk about the portal because it was inadvertently um, channeled, if you will. Uh, it's almost two and a half years ago. Um, and and it, it isn't an online course exclusively. It is an odyssey. It is, you know, you have a partner who is a filmmaker. We created a, an online film course because these frequencies are so multidimensional that it we couldn't do a lecture. We couldn't do a conversation. So it became about eight hours of experiencing and what we didn't know when we tackled it was, is it would this going to convey? Well, it was, <laughs> that way, we yeah. what we didn't know is, could this convey in this way? Meaning, would this intelligence, could these frequencies communicate through this digital virtual space? And we know frequencies Oh, of course, you know, we're, we're living. I think we did we're, know we're, this. I well, really did. We did know this. I, I think there was, I, I'm going to say, I didn't know to the degree that um, this has impacted uh, people's lives, that it would in the same way, almost as if we were teaching in person. But really my point to that was we know that frequency, we're, we are living human Bluetooths. We are, that, that is really what we are. That is part of the exchange. But this particular bandwidth, again, had so many distinctive characteristics that were different from how we understood energy. It turned the idea of energy upside down. So it wasn't until that we really moved through it in this dynamic way that we had uh, more than confirmation, more than confirmation. So that is something we should touch on later. But we have only gotten to one question. So go ahead. Yeah, that's okay. Well, this ties back into a little bit about fear um, because, uh, Dr. Pearl, you were kind of one of the first people in speaking about energy that I heard uh, you say this. It's on page 132 of your book where you said, you know, sit down for a moment, brace yourself. So I'm about to say something, right? And you said, I'm about to tell you something that might rattle a few of your false foundations. There is no such thing as evil. Uh, there are no entities whose purpose for existence is to hang around and play havoc with your life or hide in darkened rooms behind closet doors so they can find just the right moment to jump out and holler boo. Not only that, they don't have cousins. I mean, your, your sense of humor is great. Um, I love it. But, you know, it, what I really thought was interesting, and then you go into the hidden fear in our rituals, which was one of my favorite parts of the book, too, about how, like, you know, we have the flowers, we have the water and the salt to observe uh, you know, or to absorb the negative energy, um, alcohol candles, we, we call upon the different directions, uh, jewelry and things of that stuff, how we'll, we'll blow out energy, shake it off of our hands. And, you know, it's interesting because some teachers that I've had too will say, well, you know, of course in, uh, you know, the spiritual world, just like here in the 3D dimension, you have people who are good and some people maybe who will do things that aren't so good. And why wouldn't that also occur in other dimensions with other spirits and stuff? So I thought that that was interesting how you, and if I'm interpreting it right, is saying that there really is no such thing as these dark entities or this negative energy that we're really exposing ourselves to. That made me then say and think about some other teachers um, who talk about our belief systems and how maybe some things that we find in the dark to be scary is really a projection of our own fear, of our collective thought of fear, but that these this evil doesn't necessarily exist. And, you know, you may find now people may be talking about the virus as being like, you know, the war against the devil, or that this is a, a very evil thing that is happening. So as you were talking a little bit more about the fear, I'm just curious to hear you expand just a little bit more on how you feel and believe that there is no such thing as evil out there. We have lessons we have experiences and we choose to learn them singularly or collectively um, in ways that are comfortable or not comfortable. We probably choose them for multiple reasons, not just outcome, but maybe how we need to hear them and receive them. 
And um, we project, as you said, our fears. We project the absence of light as darkness that exists here in this dimension, and then imagine that it lives in other dimensions. And it was easier to do and more commonly done a long time ago, and it's traveled through the years. But, you know, I think more and more of us today are beginning to gain a consciousness and understanding that that doesn't really exist, that that's us bringing fear and illusion and creating it because maybe we feel an imbalance or just a not a worthiness to exist without it. And today, it's time for the rest of us to become the teachers of the teachers who maybe know this, maybe don't know this, maybe are invested in selling us protections and rituals and other things for many reasons, maybe don't know yet. Because, you know, just like in medicine or any other field, the new generations come in to advance things. Maybe they just don't know how to teach nothing because they confuse teaching nothing with teaching nothing. In other words, they think of something as zero instead of the infinite void or field of nothingness in which everything exists. And so part of what fear is here to show us is that our lessons come from stepping through it, not from denying it, not from magnifying it, from understanding that we are abundant, that everything is here, from stepping through the lack and limitation that fear brings about. And it comes about in some of the most amazing ways. And yes, sure, we talk about a lot of them in the book. Do we need to protect ourselves from this and from that? Do we need to take off our jewelry during a healing session as if Mother, Father, God wants you to have a healing, but they think your necklace is too big and God goes, oh, that necklace is so huge, I'll never get through it. You know, we, we you know whether we believe in God or love or intelligence or the universe. And, and sometimes I'll just say, you know, what's the biggest, most harmless way we approach these things. And I'll, I'll ask the audience, I'll say, how many of you think that, you know, even though we can get over the superstitions and the protections, we should still call God into the healing sessions? Because that's lovely, isn't it? How many think we should call God in? And all the hands go up. And I say, okay, and how many of you believe that God is everywhere? And all the hands go up again. And I say, so if God is everywhere, then where are you calling God in from, the train station? <laughs> Either God is already there or not. So when we call God in, it's different than having the awareness of. But when we call God in, we're saying that God or whatever intelligence we believe in or organizational force isn't always there. And sometimes our challenge is to have our words and our actions match one another. To say all of this is everywhere, there's nothing to fear, and yet to protect ourselves at the same time becomes a little bit contradictory, to say the least. And when we're calling in protection, are we standing in love or fear? Well, obviously fear, because no one bothers to protect themselves from love because there's no reason for it. So every protection we bring in creates more fear. And then we start looking for newer and bigger and stronger protection after protection after protection. Sometimes we might want to say, oh, well, this is for me. Anyway, this is what I say to myself. Because, you know, we all get caught up in something. Should I do this? Should I do not? Should I do that? And I'll say, wait, I'm not going to make this decision from fear. What's the worst thing could happen? I'll die. And you know what? I'll be all right then anyway. <laughs> so I'm, and if I don't die, then I'll just let go of this one fear based protection. And I'll let go of a thousand and one other fears I'm not even aware of. And if we let go of one fear every day, by the end of the year, we'll have let go of over 52,000 fears. And hey, isn't that wonderful? Yes. Again, I'm not saying don't wash your hands. I'm saying let's exist in the physical, the earthly, and let's exist 
in the spiritual and the quantum simultaneously. Uh, of, of which we were created in and sent here in some way to be a part of and for those of us in this moment, at this moment. So we're visitors. We may not like that idea, but clearly we come in from somewhere, something that is um, not here. And we're here now. So, and I would say too, to your beautiful question, I love that chapter of the book. It's such a, and I love that you keyed into it. What is the greatest conversation in social media, on every news channel, in every, you know, little bedroom, quietly, privately, in our own thoughts? The concept of what is fear couldn't be more of the epicenter of this moment. So um, it is the moment to address this as an idea. And, and, and I, and I want to also point out, um, I was looking at something for our Sunday uh, gathering. Our Zoom gathering is going to be uh, for the next three Sundays. Everyone's welcome, by the way. Um, and we'd love to have you there, April. But the idea of, I'm hearing a lot of people talk about karma. Karma. This is the karma time. This is the karma moment. This is, and, and I, you know, I had studied uh, with the 13 indigenous grandmothers for a little while and watched them move through their uh, beautiful practices, thousand years in collective age wisdom between them all. And karma has always been an interesting uh, idea. Uh, and I looked up sort of what are the syn synonyms for karma? You know, it's, it's your uh, payback, if you will. It's everything you've all kind of exposed yourself and done that's being recorded and captured. And it, it is what determines your outcome. All these, uh, these ideas. And then I said, you know, the other kind of interesting word right now is mercy. What is mercy? Are they the same thing? You know, we're, we're sort of at the mercy of this unknown right now. And our students often come in with these two ideas. And I looked up mercy and everything I, I, I found around the idea of mercy was love. It just, it is another word for love, period. It, it is not a religious concept. It is literally a, a, a Greek translated transliteration. It means love. So are we here in this moment together? And again, the reconnected healing intelligence speaks clearly in this language always. It doesn't know karma because it doesn't know our story. It doesn't understand us as a past or a present or a future anything. It, 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 it understands love. It doesn't understand the feeling of love. It understands how do we become love itself, the very love itself, not the idea of love. So, uh, we, we, we've got a choice. Are we here to have a karmic experience, which is kind of frightening because we all do things that perhaps if you define yourself in the experience of just karma, you know, I, everybody should have COVID-19 right now <laughs> because <laughs> we've all done something somewhere, uh, maybe multiple times a day in not, um, the state of love or as love itself. So uh, I, I think the language we get to become, not just talk about, we need to put this moment of pause and silence into a perspective and, and perhaps use less words and explore the language of uh, love itself. That is mercy. Yeah. And it's the Western perspective of karma also, sure. and the old perspective that views it as a fixed trap, when in actuality, um, many people understand, I, I remember back 20 years ago, even when Deepak Chopra was explaining that the concept of karma and karma itself is changing, and it is something that we are learning to transcend, yet what that requires is, again, our consciousness leaving fear and stepping into love or the mercy understanding of it. So every time we find ourselves thinking that we're boxed into something, we're focusing on an artificial representation of a limit. And, and, and last, I want to just say this about 
reconnective healing. Some of the reason I think reconnective healing is so graceful and yet not what you'll call any um, healing modality rage. It's never been like, again, Reiki of the moment or Theta healing of the moment, all of which are beautiful practices. But I think what often becomes challenging for some people exploring their mission or purpose, be it as a healer, to be healed, is that we don't determine the outcome. We are not the conduit in reconnective healing. We have, it isn't the mechanism or the language that this intelligent has chosen to interact with us in. We are a catalyst. We are an inspiration for the uh, movement of it, for the atmosphere expansion of it. Um, it's highly uh, understood in the exchange of it. We can't and don't direct anything that manifests from the exchange with it. It's a relationship. Uh, and um, so, you know, maybe we're getting ready in this moment where we can't really direct, can't really control the outcome right now, even if it's for a very brief period of time, these words, lockdown, and what are all the words of the moment? You right. know, you're in lockdown, you're in, in shelter, shelter at home, self-isolation, imposed or otherwise. Uh, these are really interesting words describing the interpersonal journey if you are wishing to listen to that language. So um, in that moment, uh, really is a beautiful time to say, well, if I can't be the conduit, maybe I can be a catalyst. Maybe I can really observe the atmosphere that is not just I, how I understand myself, but the more, there's more to be received. A lot of this approach comes from the healing techniques and approaches history of shaking our finger up at this universal intelligence and saying, I know what you need to go do and where you need to go do it. So I'm sending the frequency already. First, they start by sending instead of becoming. And then they're sending it to an area. You need to go to the heart or the liver or the ears or the kidney. And you need to fix it this way and change these symptoms. We, we, we tell the universe what to do instead of understanding that this intelligence knows where to go and what to do. And our greatest privilege and honor is to be invited in as witness and our willingness to witness is the inspiration. Now, in a sense, we could say what's going on right now with coronavirus is saying, um, I've had enough of <laughs> your checking. We're going to help you release the egotistic need to direct and control, you know, because we've gotten to the point, you know, sometimes we joke and we say, so. The energy should go here and it should go there. And we want you to do this and we want you to do that. And, and, and God, by the way, any other time in the future, I can help you let me know. And I'm also giving a class on how to release your ego. God, you might want to come because there's always something for everyone to learn. You know, I mean. <laughs> right. Well, I just have to thank you both so much. I mean, just um, reading about this, finding your information has really changed probably in the last five months, the way that I'm approaching healing, how I'm able, better able to really help my clients. It's allowing me to release some of those rituals. Um, you know, I've, I've worked a lot on that fear, but just reading that little bit about what you put in that book, I felt like just helped me release a little bit more of some of that old belief system. And um, to really, as you said, I mean, I've been on this, this path, like many people, and you know, one of my other teachers, Tom Campbell, who I talk a lot about is always talking about, you just have, you got to learn how to be, you know, it's about being not doing. And so this year, so much of this information, for whatever reason, when it clicks, it clicks, right? When it resonates, and you just start to get it, then all of this, you see things in such a different way. And uh, your book and being introduced to uh, the reconnection uh, really has begun to change my life. And I am able to experience 
not even having taken a class with you guys yet, um, just from reading it and saying, okay, well, let me just try this. A lot of it's moving the ego out, totally getting rid of the ego. And just like you said, not needing to know what happened, why it happened, but just trusting. And I am able to see probably like you saw Dr. Pearl and your patients, um, how they experience life differently after that interaction that we have together. So thank you so much. Um, and it's our we'd love to send yeah. you a copy. Uh, we'd love to send you a way to get to the portal. Yes. Yes. Uh, we definitely think it would be wonderful for you to experience the odyssey of the online course. So let right. us get you that right away right. to play. And we, we, we shot it in these little bite-sized pieces. So every um, hour, there's eight hours, has little seven and eight minute segments that we call chapters. So you don't have to take an hour of your time, you know, <laughs> yeah. you can stop, 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 start. And in each hour, there is a segment from each of the hours. So the chapters are kind of a, a little taste of, of hour one through eight in every hour. So you, you really do get a, a chance to play deeply with the frequencies and interact with Eric. And we really do move through um, a part of the science that we think uh, everyone should understand. So I think that's an important part. And as well as exercises in the philosophy. So you'll move with us and work with us and, and you will feel. And received and with us, as we say. And then the other thing I'd love to encourage you to do is um, let's arrange a distance session, uh, which is really a a wonderful gift. We're obviously facilitating a lot of them. Um, I had such an incredible uh, debrief with one of our distance sessions clients that had a complete description of dancing with the COVID 19 virus. Literally in the atmosphere, she described so beautifully um, these prongs that could touch no one, but that were there just as an experience in this atmosphere. And, you know, uh, she really had a beautiful articulation. So there's a lot of experiences that come from the distance session. Uh, so we're, we want to do that with you. You uh, feel, you see, you yeah. smell, you hear. It's just, yeah. it's like leaving it is your your awareness is leaving your physical constraints of matter and body experiencing something else and coming back and rejoining you at a new level which means we're rejoining humanity and our existence here at a new level that then becomes shared a shared raised experience for everyone in existence we always say our perception catches up with us um, in the reconnected healing experience. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And can you, uh, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much. And can you also just let our audience know if they're interested too, in finding out about your portal, uh, the classes that you're teaching, the Sunday zoom gatherings, where can people find that information? Um, they can go to our website, thereconnection.com, and everything's right there. Yeah. Great. That's the best, best way. Well, thank you both so very much. It really is an honor. Uh, It's wonderful to be able to talk to you guys. Thank you. Really our honor, April. So nice to meet you for the first time. Yes. And you you dog, too. Yes. That's Bowie, wherever he is. I don't know. He might have moved off the couch, but (laughs) all right. He's practicing reconnective healing on your cat. (laughs) He is. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Path 11 podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed this show. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, I'd like you to do so because we are going to start putting some content over there that is only for our Patreon subscribers. You can get content for as little as donating a dollar a month, and it could just be a one-time donation. We have other freebies over there that you can get depending upon how much you would like to donate. And again, it could be a one-time donation, or you can continue to keep your subscription on a monthly basis 
price at that donation level, but I just put my MBT immersive experience, which was a four day intensive meditation training in Tennessee with physicist Tom Campbell. I was listening to binaural beats, going to altered states of consciousness, having out of body experiences and life changing experiences that I was able to bring back uh, for myself, for my clients, for my friends. That was just out of this world. So if you would like to listen to that, I'd like you to head on over to path11podcast.com. You're going to see an orange button that says Patreon, become a Patreon today, and you can have access to that podcast. And I would like to remind you to head on over to path11productions.com and check out the membership that we have for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We have over 25 hours of footage with amazing speakers like William Buhlman, Thomas John, Terry Daniel, Suzanne Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, Linda Fitch, uh, Austin Wells, just a few people uh, to name off that were amazing. These workshops are just so valuable. So I think that you would really enjoy it. It's also a great thing to think about to maybe give the gift to somebody who is struggling with grief. If you are looking for resources, this is a great conference to send people to to check out. And thanks again for listening today. 